Good morning, church. For those of us here on site and online, welcome. I'm so happy I get to share with you today from the Word. If you've been with us through along this series, you would have known that Pastor Mark shared last week on the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. So if you missed that, I encourage you to check us out online at our website. There's a media tab. You can just click that there, and you can find all of this series if you want to go back and rewatch or maybe watch for the first time any of the messages that may have happened. Today we're going to be hanging out in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bible or your phone, or if you're online, there's a little Bible tab. Feel free to click that. And uh, we're just going to hang out there a little later on the message, so feel free to find that place right now. So in this time, I just want to take a little kind of side note, a little personal side note, to share um, kind of how I've been introducing all the series topics throughout this series. I've been using the word aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. You may or may not have noticed this. It's been intentional on my part, but I wanted to kind of give you a little clarification as to why that is. And I think it's worth taking the time here today to do that. And so, why? Well, thanks for asking that question, you very inquisitive audience. And so, I'm going to tell you. So, when mentioning the fruit of the Spirit, it's often described as more of like a fruit bowl or a fruit basket. So there's grapes, There's apples, there's oranges, there's bananas, maybe kiwis if you're really rich and can afford that type of a fruit basket. Um, But there's all kinds of different fruit. Now, that's not a 100% correct representation of the fruit of the Spirit. If you look in Galatians 5, there's a definite article, the, and then the singular thing is there. So it's not a plural thing. It's a singular thing. And so I've been intentionally using the word aspect to be able to set this up, to outline that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is actually just one fruit with many aspects. So a better representation of that would be like an apple, like on our screen behind us. You see the skin. You see the stem. Inside of it, there's the flesh. There's also a core, which then contains the seeds. These are all aspects of one fruit. Similarly to the list that Paul outlines in Galatians 5 for us, The fruit of the Spirit has many aspects. So all of those things together is the fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully that little explanation kind of clarifies some things, or if you'd never thought about it that way, it's all new, and that's a bonus. However, as we strive to grow in the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we're going to continue to look at another aspect today in this week's message, the aspect of gentleness. So what is it? Well, Like anything, we have to check the actual definition for it. So, Merriam-Webster. Type it in online, you get this definition. The quality or state of being gentle, especially mildness of manners or disposition. So, with that definition in mind, what sort of settings, what sort of objects, what sort of people potentially come to your mind when you think of gentleness? In my mind, baby animals. Because, well, who doesn't think of a baby pig, those little teacup pigs? How how can that not be gentle, right? Maybe babies in general, they're pretty gentle, unless you're the mom and then they like to attack you. Um, Grandmothers, though, they're pretty gentle. A soft blanket is something I picture as being gentle. A morning dew, maybe a person from history, maybe Gandhi, perhaps Mother Teresa, Maybe if we go back even farther, the Good Samaritan, which we've mentioned in this series, could possibly be seen as gentle. 
I was reading in the Bible this morning, and I was reading in Psalms, and I found Psalm 133 to be kind of fitting for what we understand gentleness to be here in this definition. So I'm just going to read it for you. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. To me, that is the typical understanding of gentleness. It's a nice image of a gentle environment. There's dew falling, people are living in unity. There's probably a million other things, though, that we could pick out in this scripture and in our general lives that we would see as gentle. That's a good thing, isn't it, that we're able to identify what gentleness is? And we like boxes, we like tidy, but it's easily identifiable if we have this tidy little box. Now, clearly, the tidy little box is not how our faith always works. And so, like a good pastor, I'm trying to set you up. I'm trying to set you up with a perspective that's not accurate so that I can reveal one that is. So, humor me. And close your eyes for a minute and imagine. There's a camera shot of a coffee mug. This represents the tidy definition of gentleness. This camera shot begins to pan outward. You now see it. It's on a cement block. Continues to zoom out. I'm standing behind that cement block. You say, my, what a good-looking young man. And then it zooms out a little farther. And you see something in my hand. If you know me, you're like, oh, maybe that's a baseball bat. It zooms out a little farther. It's actually a sledgehammer. And then all of a sudden, this sledgehammer starts to move. Move slowly. Because it's 21st century. We're taking a slow-mo video. All right? And so it's moving slowly down towards the cup. Oh, no. Eventually, it starts to speed up and smash. This tidy definition of gentleness, this cup, in a million different pieces. That's what the Bible does. You can come back now, you can open your eyes. Uh, That's what the Bible does to this Merriam-Webster definition. It shatters it. The dictionary definition is a little wordy and confusing and lacks, the key point here, lacks a connection to God. And that's pertinent because this is being presented as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And we know that God is triune, three parts, one. And so this could also be known as the fruit of God. So without God in the definition, it doesn't work. So what would a biblical perspective or definition look like? From what I've been able to surmise, gentleness is this. Humility and thankfulness to God in some form of restrained behavior towards others. This definition assumes a tension between people and people and people and God. One tension there is between people who want to get themselves to a place where they can have benefits, where they're striving. And one is a tension between man and God for a want of control. The biblical perspective in this definition is not the same. It's not nearly as tidy as the original thought. The tidy box of gentleness does not actually exist. But there's still hope for us to understand this 
So let's look at a couple different examples. First, let's ponder a gentle stallion. How many here thought of stallion when they thought of gentle? If you did online, feel free to type that into the chat box too, and I will take you out for coffee. Uh, I don't think that I'll have to pay up on that one. And so I'm willing to think that no one thought of that. But let's look at this seemingly oxymoron kind of situation of a gentle stallion. So stallions are male horses, and they're very, very powerful beings. If you encounter one in the wild, you're likely going to startle it and get trampled. If, even if you have a new horse that's a stallion, and you haven't trained it and it's unbroken, it can react in the same way. That doesn't seem to be gentle. So how can a horse be gentle? Well, stallions and horses in general are trainable and have the ability to change. You can get to a point where the horse will let someone direct it, will let someone ride it, will let someone restrain it. Yet, nothing has changed inside of that horse or in its ability to be that powerful. The horse is still as strong as before. The horse can still trample you and react and kick and buck just like before. And it can revert to that when it gets startled. It can revert back and still hurt you. That power to take control back and not be gentle and not be a gentle creature is still there, yet gentleness can still be present in a stallion. Tension, not a tidy box. It's an and situation, not an either or. It's not clean or tidy. The stallion, a great example of gentleness because it is restrained action in the horse coupled with humility to fall under the leadership of the owner or rider. How can a horse be humble? That's a human trait, it seems. Well, it's trainable. It allows itself to be restrained, to serve a purpose, and it trusts in the owner. All characteristics of this idea of humility. If a horse is not willing to give up some of that control to become humble, it never serves the purpose that it truly was created to do. Humility leading to gentleness in an animal is easy to outline like I just did. But what about us as humans? We have way more ability to make decisions on the fly and not react out of just our back pocket. And we're not as easily trained, Jacqueline can attest to that, um, like an animal. Is there a more concrete example of this that could help us have a clearer picture, a more human example? The answer is yes. And if you've ever been in a Sunday school class before, you know the answer to this question. It's Jesus. So, let's look at Jesus. Now is when we turn to John 13. So John 13 speaks of Jesus. It's a familiar story, washing the disciples' feet. This passage is often said to be about servant leadership, where Jesus humbles himself and serves the disciples, which is true, but I believe it also speaks to this aspect of gentleness in Jesus. To understand why John 13 reveals this aspect of gentleness, we need to keep at the forefront of our mind that biblical definition of gentleness, which is humility and thankfulness to God and some form of restrained behavior towards others. Let's read the first three verses together in John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew that his deceiver is at this meal. He's not unaware of this. Nobody ever disagrees from this point on in this gospel that Jesus was all-knowing as to what is going to happen next. Jesus knows that he's going to end up at the cross. Jesus is still the Son, and he still is all-powerful. He has the ability to control his future in this situation. He has the ability to handle the issue. Try to place yourself in Jesus' shoes here. What would you do? I know that I would have become like a wild stallion. I would have freaked out. I would have fought for my life. I would have tried to do anything to make sure that my life was not in danger from Judas, however I could. Yet, what do we see Jesus do here? Let's read on, verses 4 through 8. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus gets up, removes his clothes down to his underwear, and takes a towel and begins to serve in the lowest way. And I say lowest because slaves in this time, even if you were a Jewish slave and there was a Gentile option as a slave, that role was given to the Gentile slave. It was even too low for a Jewish slave. So this was the lowest role that Jesus could take. Instead of reacting to the knowledge of his impending persecution and pain, he serves. We read on in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus humbles himself to the will of the Father and does not try to control his situation with force, but he does control it with what? With gentleness. Washing the feet of the disciples and washing the feet of even Judas. This is humility and thankfulness to God with restraint and mild behavior to others. Because Jesus also remembers and knows God has a magnificent plan and a will to accomplish it. We often get caught up in our own plans. We find ourselves reacting harshly to others who may just be near us. Similarly to the wild stallion who kicks someone when he gets startled, we too can revert back to a stage where gentleness is not the first thing we react with. And we forget that humility and thankfulness 
before God and mild and restrained behavior with others is how gentleness is revealed in our lives. Today we looked at the tidy box and how it doesn't work. It's human. It falls short. It leaves God out of the plan. It is too much about human control and pride. We looked at a stallion and how it reveals gentleness, reserves strength, not a lack of power, but humility, allowing control to be in someone else's hands, the owner in the rider's hands for the horse. But if we place ourselves in that story, we're putting the control in God's hands. We looked at Jesus and how gentleness was revealed in him for serving the disciples. We just looked at this. He reserved strength. He held it back, even though he's fully God and could act in all power. And he yet lowers himself to become human. He yet lowers himself to serve the disciples. And he yet lowers himself even further to serve Judas, his betrayer. Allowing control to be in someone else's hands. The will of the Father is where Jesus places control here. We read on in John 12 through 17, where it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The challenge in verse 17 is that we no longer need to control or react and fix everything. We can become a person we can be all become a people, and we can become a worldwide church known by its gentleness. Where we know the will of the Father, where we trust the will of the Father, where we humble ourselves to the Father, so that we can set aside our human need to control, and instead of posting that snarky response on social media, and instead of arguing with the person at the red light who just cut us off, Instead of envying that neighbor who has that nicer car than you and reacting poorly to him because of it, instead of trying to get even, whatever it is that places our plan above God's, we now can humble ourselves instead, just like Jesus, who could have called out Judas harshly and removed him angrily with justice and truth. He wouldn't have been wrong in doing that. But instead, we get up from the table and we grab a towel and humbly serve in gentleness because we know God is in control and that his plan is working out and that is what truly matters. Remember this phrase today. Don't forget it. If you forget the rest of what I said today, don't forget this phrase. Gentleness is restrained action with others. Not that we don't have power, or it wouldn't even be just for us to act in the way we do. Sometimes it would be, but we can act with restraint with others. Gentleness is restrained action with others, and it comes only from becoming humble before God 
and trusting in his plan and giving him control. So again today, I know some of you might already have your eyes closed, but I invite you to close your eyes with me now. And think about what it means to have a God, to have a heavenly Father who is in complete control and has a magnificent plan for the world. For anyone in-house or online today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and may be thinking that gentleness is something they struggle with or that possibly a need for control and immediate justice is always your main reaction or anger can consume how you respond to people. You can know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is still ready for you just as you are. He is real, and he is ready, and he is gentle. And if you make him Lord of your life today, right now, and humble yourself before him, trusting in his plan for your life, I invite you to pray with me right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my troubles. I give you my all. You are my Lord and my Savior, and you are my gentle shepherd. I trust you and your plan for my life. Lead me to where I need to be and shape me to who I need to become. In your precious name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, praise God. But that's only the beginning. I encourage you to share with someone, whether that be someone just outside today, whether that be a phone call, whether that be in the live chat or the live prayer online, share it with someone, a brother or sister in Christ. Because we are a community, we are a worldwide church, and we strive to grow in this fruit of the Spirit together in our life. So, remember today that gentleness does not fit in a tidy box. It is something that looks different in many different situations, but the one thing we can know is that gentleness is restrained action with others, and it comes only from us becoming humble before God and trusting in His plan and giving Him control. As we return to a time of song now, I want to thank you all for worshiping with us today at West Meadows. We look forward to seeing you next week as we finish our series, Be Fruitful, as we look at the final aspect of this one fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, self-control. <laughs>